you ready to dive into the powerful truth that the kingdom of heaven has for us? Let's join our host, Ruth Hendrickson, for Real Truth with Ruth as we dive into the Word of God. All right, I want you guys to repeat after me. I decree and declare that no weapon formed against me will ever prosper. Okay, now I couldn't hear the people at home, so let's do it again a little bit louder because you guys are even a little soft and I want to hear them through the airways. So I decree and declare that no weapon formed against me will prosper. This is really, really key in this season because right now there is an assignment of fear against the body of Christ. And as long as we're walking in fear, we will not carry, we will not host, we will not walk in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. And I was, I, I have been back doing some traveling and so I, I was looking around in some other areas and I want you to know the level of fear in some other areas of the nation is not anywhere as near like it is here. You need to at least be aware of that. We need to understand that, that the Northeast is under a grip of a level of fear that does not necessarily exist other places. We tend to think that how things look in our bubble is how it looks everywhere, right? Right, isn't that what we think? We see the world through a certain lens. And so I'm not saying that we should not be concerned and I'm not saying that we should not use a lot of wisdom, hear me. We are up against some very, very real issues, challenges, viruses, okay? But I was sharing with somebody the other day that we can make a decision and it can be the right decision but have the wrong motive behind it. In other words, as the body of Christ, if we are making our decisions out of fear, we have just lost the war. We can make that same decision out of wisdom and it's a whole different story. Does that make sense? So I just want to speak to all of us as the body of Christ. People are watching. They are watching how we're responding. They're watching what we carry. They're watching what's in our hearts. They're watching how we're processing things. And so it's really, really important that as we make decisions that we make them out of wisdom and not out of fear. And it's a great question to ask ourselves once in a while, what is behind this decision? And honestly, that's something that we need to learn not in this season, but it will impact every single season of our lives. So just be really, really aware of that. Right now, we are at a great teaching moment for ourselves to grow with the Lord, to understand, and also to understand the level of authority that we carry. And you know, we have wisdom that comes from the throne of heaven. Okay? So there's my thoughts. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, probably. Um, but you know, I have a question. Are you in the right room? Are you in the right room? Oh, you gotta wait, I mean, you know, it might, we, might, we might mess with that a little bit. You know, we're here, okay, so everyone here is saying we're in the right room, we're in the right spot. So the other day, I, the, I was asking the Lord some questions and one of the things he says to me is many of my church are in the soaking room when I've called them to be in the warfare room. Yeah. What I mean by this is with the Toronto blessing, what came in was this, this whole aspect of soaking prayer, and it's it actually has been around for years. It's also known as, as contemplative prayer. Okay, but it's been, it really grew with a revival that happened up in Toronto, Canada. And so we have these wonderful places where we go and we lay down in the presence of the Lord and His glory just falls. And we're like, glory, hallelujah. Some people take naps in this atmosphere. You hear the snoring. 
Okay, if, if you're just laying down in the presence of the Lord and you hear the snoring, it, yeah, anyways, God can, God can speak you through that. But it's very much, it's a time of um, intimacy with the Lord, which is good, right? Amen. We need to grow in intimacy with the Lord. It's a time of really knowing the depth of his love. We need to know the depth of his love, right? Amen. Okay. One of us agrees. Um, and, and, and we need, it's also a time of immense healing, personal healing, where the Lord just comes in and he heals some of those wounds and those brokennesses that we've carried all through our lives. Okay, so how many of us need to grow in intimacy with the Lord? Amen. Okay, about half. The other half we'll work with later. How many of us need to really grow in the love of the Father and understanding and receiving the Father's love? Amen. Okay, how many of us have areas of our lives where we've just been hurt, we've been wounded, that need to be healed? Amen. Okay, these are wonderful things that happen. The Lord just comes into the soaking room. And so, you know, the soaking room, like I said, that concept has been around for years, and it needs to be around, and it needs to stay around. So let me just make that very, very clear, okay? But there are times when we, when we get so comfortable in the soaking room that we forget to change rooms. And God calls us into a different season. He says, I have filled you. I have equipped you. I've healed you. I've shown you my love. Yeah. And it's time to switch over here for a season. Amen. And that's really what we're going to talk about. So the question, are you in the right room? I was thinking of the show. You, those of you who are my age, a little older, you remember this show, Let's Make a Deal? Yes. Okay, so in Let's Make a Deal, there were these three doors. And, you know, the, the contestants got to guess. What was behind door number one or door number two, door number three? What was the value of it? And usually behind one of those doors was something like a car. Okay, and of course, everyone wants the vacation home or the car or the great big check, right? Don't y'all want to pick the right door? Yeah, sure. And so, but sometimes that's how we've treated stepping up to the Lord is we're like, okay, let's play a little guessing game with the Lord and let's make a deal with the Lord and let's see what's behind that door and if I can guess the right door and then I'm going to walk into that door. And so we've done that sometimes with this whole thing called prayer. So again, God operates, just say God operates in seasons. God, God operates. Just like what we see in the natural, right? Summer, spring, winter, fall. Okay, there are seasons also within the body of Christ, with our walk for the Lord, with the Lord. Now, this becomes really, really clear in Ephesians 3.1, and you guys, you're really, really familiar with this, okay? There is a season, this is out of the Amplified, there is a season or a time appointed, just say a time appointed, for everything and for every delight and event or purpose under heaven. Okay, so there is a season, there is an appointed time. That phrase that's in the Amplified, the appointed time, tells me that this is not by accident. Okay, that's very, very important. That the, the fact that there is an appointed time means it is not by accident. That God actually has appointed the times and the seasons. Now, of course, we go on, if we were to read that whole thing, you know, he goes on and, you know, there's a time to be born and a time to die okay there is a time to kill and a time to heal i'm not sure what to do with that time to kill but that's what it says in this version okay a time to weep and a time to so laugh depending on the version um a time to throw away stones a time to gather stones a time to embrace a time to 
refrain from embracing that speaks loudly today, doesn't it? Um, a time to search and a time to give up is lost. Um, a time to love and a time to hate, another one that's hard. A time for war and a time for peace. All this is to say, when I talk about what door are you going through or how are you handling your time with the Lord? How are, how are you dealing? What season are we in? There is a time for soaking and there is a time for battle. There is a time to be in the soaking room and there is a time to be in the warfare room. That's right. Okay? If we stay in the soaking room out of seasons, there are some problems that come up. If we're in the warfare room out of season, there are also problems that come up because we will be fighting things that we weren't to fight. But um, here's the thing. If there is a pull of God on my life, then I have an invitation to participate. To fully participate, I have to learn to discern the seasons and to move accordingly. Are you in the right room for this season? Are you in the right room? Um, one of the things with the Father Heart Movement, and this is really important, when we look at the various revivals and the seasons of revivals and what God's done and the different things that he's opened up when he comes in such power and such love, the one that we've grown up in is more the Father Heart Movement, the love of God, okay? We need to know the Father's love. But sometimes that's kind of been at the expense of understanding that we have a God who's still in control and we also have a God who can bring judgment we have a God who's also a God of war. Does that make sense? And so what's happened often within the body of Christ is where we, we have stayed in the soaking room in the glory of God and the love of God when he's actually saying, you are my warriors, you are priests for the kingdom of heaven. I have plans and purposes for you and I have called you to much more than what you can imagine. Because we weren't able to make that shift. Not everyone, and, there, and again, there's some people who have been over in the warfare room where the Lord's saying, you need to know my love. Because you have such a judgmental spirit, and you are condemning everyone, and you want to call down hellfire hell, and brimstone. And yet, I need you to come over to the soaking room because you need some healing. You need to know the depths of my love. You need to know who I am. You need that one-to-one -one relationship. And so it's really important to be, to be assessing to know where we're to be. Psalm 104.34 says... May my meditations be sweet and pleasing to him. Ask for me, I will rejoice and be glad in the Lord. That's out of the Amplified. You guys would know it better out of something like the New Living Translation. It says, my, may all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Now, when we talk about this whole thing of meditation, this is very important also to understand as the body of Christ that our, our culture has kind of usurped that meaning. Okay, so in our culture, the, the, especially within the New Age movement, the thought of meditation is to empty oneself, right? You empty yourself is all thought. Well, the Hebrew word for meditation, there's two different words used, but actually it's to fill your mind with the things of Christ, is the concept that you actually murmur, or you speak under your breath, you speak them out, the goodness of God. In other words, we, we fill ourselves with the things of God, and as we fill ourselves with the things of God, the things that are not of God will leave. Amen. But as Christians, we don't just, that, that whole thing of empty your mind. No, we always fill, we fill our minds. So again, um, the two Hebrew words for meditation, one means desire to murmur, and the other one means to muse or rehearse in one's mind. So if you want to talk to yourself, 
you have full permission of the kingdom of heaven to murmur. See, murmur is another word. Murmur goes with complaining, right, in our culture. But here we're talking about, we're not complaining about, we're not murmuring to God under our breath. We're reminding ourselves of who he is, of the goodness of the kingdom of heaven, of the power, the authority of who we are in him. That's what we're actually doing is we're reminding ourselves. You know, David, in the Psalms, when he, you know, he'll ask himself questions like, you know, why are you so discouraged? And then you hear, yet I will trust. Yet I will trust. Yet I will trust. Yet I will trust. My God is for me. He's not against me. I will trust in him. He is good. He is my God. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. That is who my God is. That's part of what happens in the war room. Amen. Okay, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. My God says, if I have faith the size of a mustard seed, this mountain can be moved. Wait, I have a measure of God's faith. Amen. It's growing within me. Okay, I am more than a conqueror. I am the head and I'm not the tail. Amen. All these things, we begin to rehearse them. We begin to murmur them. That's actually Christian meditation. Is, is letting that and sowing that into us. Amen. So again, if we're in the wrong room during a season, there can be dire circumstances. Being in the wrong room for a season can open us up to earthly vision or viewpoint rather than heavenly vision. That's right. Okay, hear me again. If we're in the wrong room for, the, for a season, doesn't mean it wasn't the right room for the last season. But if we linger there, if we stay there too long, and we're not where God has called us to be for the new season, it actually can open up the wrong, the, the incorrect realm of sight or understanding. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Okay, we're going to go to 2 Samuel 11, 1. And it reads, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the uh, Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Okay. Do you see the season? Yes. It was the spring of the war, spring of the year. And what happens in the spring of the year? It's the time of year when what? When kings go out to war. This is actually the first mention within scripture of a leader staying behind and not going out to war. I want you guys to hear that every single one of you has a sphere of influence in which you are a leader. And therefore, there will be times and there will be seasons where you are called to go to war. Amen. All right, here we're talking literal war, but there's so many parallels between what we see in the physical and what happens in the spiritual, okay? This was the time of year where the kings were to go to war, period. Leaders, just say, I'm a leader. Say it a little louder like you, you mean it. One more time. We're going to murmur that under our breath because that's what God says. He says to each one of you, you are priests in the kingdom of heaven. If you, are, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are priests in the kingdom of heaven. That means that you are a leader. Okay, so I am a leader. So therefore, leaders lead in transition. Just say that again. Leaders lead in transition. Leaders have the ability to transition people from a soaking room to a war room, but they have to learn to do it themselves. 
hear me? We have to be able to make the shift ourselves. So often we're looking to go with the herd when God's saying, wait a minute, you're the one who I put right there. You're the one who can lead into this transition. You have more power and more authority than what you understand within the heavenly realms because of who he has created you to be. Again, he has created declared that you are priests in the kingdom of heaven. We have to understand that place of authority that we are actually to walk in. So if we go on with 2 Samuel, it says late after, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of the palace. He looked out over the city and noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So here's the deal. David was lounging or resting when he was supposed to be what? Warring. He was in the wrong place for that season. Because he was in the soaking room and not in the warfare room, he was gazing upon sights that he was not to be looking at. His vision has shifted. It was the time of the year when kings go to war. He was to be at war because he was relaxing on the rooftop rather than fighting the battle, rather than stepping in the position he was to be in as king and as a leader. There, he, he actually looked from the wrong viewpoint, which opened a door that never should have been opened. So um, a, little, a little story here. I know of a church um, where, where through the whole, the whole season of the Father's Love Revival and, and the soaking rooms and building a soaking room, and they built a beautiful, beautiful soaking room. It was something to look at. It was, it was wonderful. It was plush. It was full of the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. Okay, and, and so there came a point when the season needed to shift and things needed to change. And the, some of the leadership began to sense this. And, and um, you know, they, the people would come into this beautiful, beautiful, comfortable room. But you see, the culture was so much that they were to be soaking that to call them into a different season wasn't happening. Because what do we do if we're so in the season, if we're so accustomed to, to a particular look, a particular feel, a particular style, and we walk into that, what do we do? We come in and we sit down or we lay down and we go, oh, Father, pour out your love. And if it's a season of warfare, if it's a season that we're not to be in the soaking room, what happens? Then the ground's not taken that needs to be taken, right? It's not that there's anything wrong with the soaking room except it's out of season. There was nothing wrong with David staying home except it was out of season. Okay, it was the wrong time for him to be there. And so what happened is uh, with, this, with this wonderful uh, body of believers, there was eventually permission to given to actually change the look of that room. And yet when the time came, they hit the proverbial sacred cow. Because that season had been so powerful in the lives of so many that when we think of shifting and moving on to another season, it becomes incredibly painful. And yet God's always calling us to go from glory to glory to faith to faith to keep growing from, keep growing, right? There's movement, just say there's movement. There's movement when we walk with the Lord. It's important to understand that God never called us to become stagnant. There is always a level of movement that goes as we walk with the Lord. 
And so what happens when we stay in that one place too long is things begin to wither and die, right? Amen. And as I said, if we're in there for the wrong season, we see things from the wrong, the wrong vantage point. So King David was in the wrong location for the season. He was looking at things from the wrong perspective. And he was called to be a king and a warrior. So it's important to understand that decisions made in the soaking room out of season have the potential to impact others in ways that we never imagined. Think of some of the impact from this. Because he was in the wrong room for the wrong season, we have adultery. We have murder. We have cover-ups going on. Because remember, he brings Uriah back from the, from the battlefield, hoping that he will sleep with Bathsheba, and then that will cover up the pregnancy. And he refuses because at that point, he understands, Uriah understands that he is to be on the battlefield, not home lounging. I am sure he wanted to spend time with his wife, but he understood where he was to be in that season, and he could not be moved. Are we that dedicated that we can understand where we're to be in a season and that we cannot be moved? So here we go. The focus impacts our vision and what we see in, in, in the best case situation when we understand the move, when we understand the shift in seasons, then what we take, what we got in the soaking room, what we receive from the Lord in the soaking room, what we conceive, what we receive from him with the depth of his love and his healing and the intimacy gets carried over into the war room and equips us. Does that make sense? Because as we've been soaking with him, we've been becoming shored up in our identity and who we are in him and what he's called us into and the dreams have started to unfold. But if we stay there, the execution is a different story. Because remember, Satan roams around like a roaring lion looking who, to who he can develop. So we have the whole demonic component out there, and the demonic is very, very real. But they're not more powerful than you are when you're walking with the king of kings and lord of lords. Okay? That's a very real. Our own thought life, the patterns, very, very real battle. But they're not to have victory over us. Our minds are to be transformed. They're to be changed into work, be, to becoming more and more like the Lord. And of course, we have our culture. We have our culture that, that will hold us back. And why do we have a culture that's in the position where it is right now? At the risk of offending some people, so I ask for grace and mercy. Is it possible that it's because the church was too busy laying down in the soaking room when they were to call to the war room? We can try to blame anyone we want, but the church is always called to lead, not to follow. Amen. We follow Jesus Christ, but we lead on the face of the surf. That's right. And every time we advocate our authority, bad things happen. That's right. And it comes through our generational lines ever since Adam and Eve. But Jesus came to break that. And yet we have not really grabbed onto that and understood that and walked it out in our everyday lives. And so I want to take a little bit of a jump here. I want to talk about another king because I really think he, he is a bad king. He's not one that was walking with the Lord, but he's one who had his focus in the wrong spot. And I think there's a really great les lesson we can learn from this. So in 2 Kings 13, we meet a man by the name of um, Joash. And 
he, you know, Elijah was walking the face of this, the earth at that point in time, and, and Elijah's about to, to, to die. He's about to go home. You know, there's a season for life and a season for death. And King Joash visits, visits him and weeps over him. Now, it's important to understand, a lot of the commentators say that the reason he wept over him was because he depended on the prophet of God to give the word of God, and without the prophet, he would be lost. He had no relationship with the Lord in and of himself. He was an evil king. Okay, who or what are we depending on to tell us the word of the Lord, the way that the Lord's going? Are we growing in that ourselves, or are we fully depending on the prophet, or the pastor, or the news media, or whomever else? We'll just leave it there, okay? Who is the strongest voice that's speaking into our life, and what are they carrying? All right, so he comes and he can, it's interesting. I, it just so intrigues me that he says he can see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. It, that just that just absolutely astound, astounds me. So there they are having this conversation. Elijah says to him, get the bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elijah told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elijah laid his old, own hands on the king's hand. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. And he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elijah proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. An, an arrow of victory over Abraham. For you will completely conquer the Arminians at Achaq. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angered with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Abraham until it was completely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. So let's back up. Number one, again, let me ask you, who are you depending on for the news of the day? What's this perspective that we're pulling that into our lives? Okay, what is that perspective that we're looking at? King Joash was afraid because he was losing his number one heaven reporter, okay? He, would, he, he knew he was going to be out there like a sitting duck because he didn't have a relationship. Elijah tuned into the heavens and saw things from God's perspective. And so remember, Elijah, what does he what's the first thing he tells the king to do? Well, before that, he had to do something before he shoots the arrow. Open a window. Okay, he had to open a window. And that's very, very important because how clear can you see out that window with the window closed and the shades over it? It's not as clear, right? Not to mention an arrow would shatter the window. We'll just put that out there. And yet he says, he tells the king to open the window. The principle is anything that's standing in our way of doing what God has called us to do absolutely must be removed. Okay, the window was standing in the way of a prophetic move that the king had to make. Anything that is standing in our way of walking into the fullness of what God has absolutely must be removed. Why do I bring this up? Because it's most likely in the war room where we remove those obstacles. Amen. Prophetic act, open the window, take the bow, and shoot an arrow. It was an act that would impact in the natural realm and also in the spiritual realm. 
The other thing that I think is so interesting is that the prophet laid his hands over the king's hands. Okay, what do we often associate the laying on of hands over from a prophet onto somebody else would normally be associated with impartation. Right. There was something being imparted. What was going on? Was it possible that in this gesture, in this moment, the prophet was actually telling the king that God sees that he's still with you and he knows and that you're not alone? Amen. We don't know. We're just told that the prophet laid his hands over the king's hands. And then he commanded the king to shoot the arrow. And it's really, think about that. There is a, there is a way, you know, um, bows are weighted by how much, how much it takes to pull back. Okay, you, you have to, it's very different to take a child's bow and to pull it back to shoot that arrow than it is to take a hunter's bow. Right. Okay, how much strength do you need to pull back? Do you understand that when you're learning to shoot an arrow, that if you don't have enough pull or if you don't have the aim, the arrow can just fall, right? Or it can miss its mark. But here he's being told, take that, and the king should have been a warrior because kings lead into battle, correct? So he should have known how to shoot both, but yet he takes this, that and there's this direction given and he pulls back. And this is very, very important because that action is um is actually it takes strength and and it would be active and it would be considered aggressive okay it would be boom and letting it go all right letting it go what are the arrows that we need to shoot out the window in order to take the ground very very important some of you guys have some arrows that the lord's been asking you if you're going to shoot if you're going to take a risk and shoot it you're going to open the window and shoot those arrows out because those arrows will impact your destiny. Okay, they are, you You know, you know who you are. You know that you have something that you're sitting on and you're like, God, I can't do this because this is in my way and that's my way and this is in my way. And the Lord is saying right now, it's time to open that window and shoot that arrow on faith. It's a prophetic movement. Okay, it is a prophetic movement. And it's absolutely essential. A lot of this concept is what Jamie and his team, they do when they go in to take ground and they begin to sing over the region, they declare over the region. They're opening a window, they're taking down anything that stands in the way, and they're shooting arrow to take back that ground for the kingdom of heaven. That's right. But you see, it's not just for an individual church or for an individual ministry. It is for the body of Christ to open the window and shoot out the arrow and be able to see from a different vision. And to be able to see prophetically what is happening in the spirit realm. And so Elijah goes and says, he declares this arrow. This is what he declares. This is the Lord's arrow. An arrow of victory over Abram. For you will completely conquer the Armenians of Apex. But it took that prophetic move. It took that prophetic move. And then the other thing from here, he, you know, he goes, um, well, let me just say this. That arrow was a prophetic act of a sign of deliverance. That they would be delivered. They would defeat. Some of us are stuck in situations because we haven't shot that arrow. Then in verse 18, it says, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. And so the king picked up the other arrows and he struck them three times. Now, what's interesting is at this point... We don't see the prophet's hands over the kings, do we? No. Okay, the king is having to make a decision. Is he going to look ridiculous or not? 
Have any of you had to make a decision in the spiritual realm as to whether you are going to do this and look ridiculous or not? Anyone guilty of that? Okay, a few of you are. The rest of you will work on that because I'll tell you, when we walk with the Lord, there will be a time in all of our lives where we feel absolutely ridiculous doing what God has called us to do. Okay, absolutely. Right, Jane? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so here we are. There, you know, the, the king's there with the prophet. He's weeping because he's losing his, you know, his his uh, his lifeline to heaven. And, you know, he's opened the window and he shot the arrow out. Okay, that went well. You know, I've got complete victory. No problem. And then, and then the prophet says, okay, so take the rest of those arrows. And I want you to count them in the ground. The prophet did not give him any instructions as to how many times to hit the ground, did he? It's always better to go overboard with God than under, just so you know. So just imagine this. So here he is. And one of the things that we look at is what's the seriousness with a prophetic act? Okay, how much did he believe? Now remember, this king was not walking with the Lord, but there's a principle we can learn here. Because it's very possible that not only did he only hit three times instead of five or six, but it's very possible he just went... Do I look very convinced? Do I really think God's at work here? There's a difference quite often as the body of Christ. I said I was going to be messing a little bit today. Quite often as the body of Christ, we're trying to do just enough to get by. Okay, and we're sitting there just going. So I think there were two things going on here. I think one was the king did not believe or understand the power of a prophetic act. His heart was not in it. How often are our hearts not in it? Because minimally, even if he only hit three times, it should have been. <laughs> Dave, don't worry, the floor's covered. <laughs> okay? And so, so, you know, but what it should have been is I feel like I can only do three. I feel like that's all that I have inside of me but i'm going to go even past that because this is who my god is i'm speaking here to believers this king was an evil king okay but we have to understand that god will take us outside our comfort zone so if we have those arrows in our hands it should be and you keep going you keep going until breakthrough comes until breakthrough comes there's no stopping in the middle there's never any stopping in the middle. You see, um, you know, in every battle, in every battle, we have to break out of our smallness, our small way of thinking as to who our God is. And let me say the small way of thinking as to who we are in the Lord and what we're able to do, the ground that we're able to take, the victory that we're able to have. If we stay in the comfort zone too long, we can be going through the actions rather than making the advancement to have victory. Very, very important. Again, the king stopped short of the fullness of all that God had for him. He did not have the vision nor the perseverance to go the distance. Amen. You want to know how you build that perseverance and how you build that vision? Yeah, you spend time with the Lord, absolutely. You get radical in your worship. Amen. Okay, you get radical in your worship. 
you could do, there, there's a, a little bit of a movement I've heard uh, about where there's some circles that are beginning to say that there's no such thing as warfare worship. I just want you to know that's from the pit of hell. One of the most underused weapons that the body of Christ has is actually worship. Amen. When the saints begin to worship, the demons have to flee. When the saints begin to worship, the heavens open up. When the saints begin to worship, healing happens. When the saints begin to worship, we're not only worshiping the God who is like Jonathan said earlier, we're also, it's not just for him, it's also for us. Because in the realm of worship, everything changes. In the realm of worship, everything changes. So again, in the war room, we actually remove anything that's standing in the way of doing what God has commanded us to do. It's one of the things that happens in the war room. We actively and we aggressively and we passionately, and we do it because God said to not because we feel that. In our culture, we, wait, we put way too much weight on feelings and not enough weight on the truth of the word of God. So in the war room, we remove anything that's standing in the way of what God's commanded us to do. The other thing that happens in a war room is we take action. You know, that's all these things that we just read about with Elijah the king was that they, he was taking action. It was all prophetic action. They didn't see it in the moment. They were, he was making, you know, the, the prophet was kind of forcing him to step into the promises of God. And he had to decide how much he was going to partner with it. In the war room, we begin to see strategic targets. Pay attention sometimes when you're watching a movie and they have a battle strategy going on. What's happening in the war room? You know, just think of the map there with what well, we have this army here and this one here and we've lost this ground, we've taken this ground. What's happening? There's battle strategy going on. There are times when only in the war room do we get the fullness of the battle strategy because in order to receive that strategy, we had to switch rooms. Okay? Very, very important. The other thing is this is the place where we actively step into more of God. There, because, again, in, in, when we're sitting back in that wonderful love of God, that comfort place, we're, we're not, we're, we're not, we're receiving, okay? We're receiving and receiving. Like I said, there's a place for that. But there's also a place where we begin to march out because of who God has created us to be, and we begin to take that ground. Amen. And it's this place where we act, as we actively step into the more of God, that we totally defeat the enemy. We may not see it in the moment, but just because we don't see it right in front of us yet does not mean that in the, that in the spiritual realm, the enemy has not been defeated. Right. We tend to be looking this way too much when the Lord's saying, I want you to begin to see from my perspective. I want you to look at you to look at things differently because what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you understand the power? Do you understand the authority that you carry? As, as followers of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of who God has decreed and declared we are. One of the things that's so interesting in Jeremiah 29, it's a verse that just grabbed my attention, especially this year. Um, what had happened, Jeremiah's back behind in Jerusalem, but the people had been actually taken to Babylon as captives. And so there they are, not living in their homeland, okay? They are captives. They are a culture which is not their own. They're not in an idolatrous culture, okay? They're, and, and yet, the, the Lord gives Jeremiah a word. 
And that word is basically to tell the people they're going to be there for a bit. They're to settle into that land. They're to buy homes. They're to have children. They're to plant crops. It's what they're told to do in a foreign land, in a land where they're held captive. And the, the phrase that got me, and our nation needs to hear this right now, the body of Christ needs to hear this desperately right now. The phrase that gets me is pray. Pray for the land that you're in. Because its welfare determines your welfare. Now let me take you a step past that. With those captives was a young man named Daniel. In the group of captives were three young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would impact a foreign nation for the Lord God Almighty. But to get to this point, to this point, the people had to settle there but not give up who they were and to understand that God has a plan and a purpose and not to curse the land, not to curse the land, but to actively pray about it, pray for the land. These men that I just mentioned, the four of them, they never bowed their knee to any false god. They never went into the culture. They never allowed that culture to consume them. They carried the kingdom of heaven wherever they want, and because of that, a nation was changed. It is absolutely essential that the body of Christ begin to carry the fullness of the kingdom of heaven and that we change the nation and the cultures rather than the nations and cultures changing us. Amen. Because anything less than that, anything, just think of anything less than that, what happens? So, you know, Ephesians, again, a very, very common verse where it talks about uh, all the weapons of warfare. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, yeah. 10 through 18. There we go, yep. Now, my beloved ones, I've saved, this is out of the passion. I've saved these most important truths, just say most important truths. For last, be super, this is out of the passion, like I said, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand, just say stand. Stand victorious with force. In fact, why don't you prophetically do that? Stand victoriously with force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold the dark world in bondage. Because of this, just say because. Because. You must wear all, say all. All. The garments that God provides you. Just say I have to wear all the garments. As you confront the slander, for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious, say, I am destined, I am destined. For, all for all things. I will, I will. Rise, victorious. rise victorious. So now prophetically, put on that belt of truth to strengthen you as you stand in triumph. 
on holiness is the protective armor that covers your heart. Prophetically, put that on. Stand on your feet alert. I want you to look alert. Look alert. Look alert. Look around. Look alert. It's very important because stand as it's used here is active. It is not passive. It, it's not this, oh, I'm just going to stand and wait here until my spouse finishes shopping. Or I'm just going to stand here and I'm going to look around. Or I'm going to stand here and isn't it a beautiful day. It's a stand. I will stand on the, I will stand. I will, I will stand on the tower. I will be the watchman on the tower. I will look out. I will call out what I see because I have been told to stand. It's very, very active. It's not passive. All right, so um, so stand, always be alert, so you're ready to share the blessings of peace. Oh my goodness! Just say, I'm a peace bearer. I'm a peace bearer. In every battle, take faith as you wrap around shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet. Put your helmet on. The helmet of salvation to protect your thoughts from lies. Understand why our mind has to be transformed. That's part of the helmet of salvation. We come to know Jesus Christ and he transforms our mind so that we begin to think like our creator, the one whose DNA that we carry in the very core of our beings. And take the mighty razor sharp spirit sword. I like that. The razor sharp spirit sword. And then he goes on, he says, pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer. Say every form of prayer. Form of, prayer. of course, that is every form of prayer only to Jehovah, only to the true God, only to Yahweh. Okay, the names is above every other name. Amen. Now I want you to practice one more thing. We're going to do this prophetically. Second Corinthians 6, 7. This is out of the New Living. It says that we faithfully preach the truth. So just say, I will not be silent. I will not be silent. God's power is working in us. Say, God's power is working in me. God's power is working in me. Now I want you to hear this next sentence. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Amen. So get those weapons out. Okay. In other words, the sword to attack the word of God. Amen. Okay. Faith, the, the, the shield of faith to defend. Okay? We have to have the sword and the shield all at once because at the same time, as a body of Christ, you are fully equipped to both go on the offensive and defensive whatever the moment calls for. But you can only see that when you're in the right space for the season. Okay? So, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Amen. So here we go. Right now, hold up those swords. Hold up that, okay? I decree and declare that I am a child of the King and Kings and Lord of Lords. That I have his DNA in my being. That I will shift. From room, to room, from room to room, as the Spirit says. As the Spirit says. Okay, now some of you guys have been staying in the soaking room out of fear, out of insecurity, because you love, you love, you love the love of God, but you know it's time to shift. And if that's you, I want you to take one step, one direction or the other. Okay, that is symbolic. It's a prophetic word that I'm shifting rooms. I will not stay in the room that I'm not to be in during this season. 
Now, some of you may have been in a warfare room and you're supposed to be in the soaking room. You also need to be make a shift because it is absolutely vital, absolutely essential that we are in the right seat, we are in the right room for the season that we are in. And again, I want to suggest that the body of Christ has been sitting back complacently when the Holy Spirit has said it is time to shift because there is a battle to be fought, a war to be won. There are people who need to come to know who Jesus is. We need to walk in the full power and authority of Jesus Christ. So hold out your hands right now and say, Lord, Lord I, receive I receive your peace. Your I reject fear. I will take up the sword of the Spirit, and I will attack with it. I will take that shield of faith, and that's going to defend me. I don't care what anyone else says. My culture, my mindset, my inheritance, and even my day falls under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I will not be moved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Are you struggling to walk in the fullness of the plans and purpose that God has for you? Why not order Ruth's book, Physician, How to Be Aligned and Empowered to Walk in Your Divine Destiny? Available in print, ebook, or audio on Amazon today.